Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. As we've looked at the book of James over the last few weeks, uh, James is writing to the Christians who've been scattered uh, throughout Judea and Samaria because of the persecution that broke out in Jerusalem after the uh, stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Saul, who later became known as Paul, was a major player in that persecution. James wanted these scattered Christians to know that they were to live a certain way uh, no matter where they lived, that God had standards that he put on us. And one of the themes of the book of James is found in James chapter 1, verse 4, where it says in the English Standard Version, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In the New International Version, it says that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So James's effort is to say, this is what we are to be as mature Christians. This is how we are to live in the world around us, in very practical ways. Um, a mature Christian is one who has integrated what they believe with how they live. It goes together. Their faith and their actions are not dichotomized or separate. We, we live what we believe. We say this, we live it. He also refers to this type of living um, as wisdom. This is wisdom. You say you believe this way, you live this way. Pastor Jay and Pastor Rodney preached from chapter 1 and showed us how as mature Christians, we deal with trials with joy. That's how we respond to trials, with joy in our lives. We also ask God for wisdom, and then we live by that wisdom that he gives us. We also know that, we, that our value is based in who we are in Jesus, not in what we have or we, what we don't have. Our value is based in Jesus. We know that temptations do not come from God. They come from our evil desires that are within us. And then we learned at the end of chapter 1, where as mature Christians, we are to be quick to listen and slow to anger. And we're also to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That shows that we are growing in Christ to maturity. And last week, Pastor Jay preached from the first seven verses of chapter two, and he hit us hard with our tendency to be partial to the rich over the poor, which is not at all consistent with those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. So today I wanna show us from the next passage we'll look at, that as Christians, as believers in Jesus, that mercy is a character of us as believers, mature believers, because God our Father is merciful. So let's just jump right in. Uh, In James chapter 2, verses 8 to 13, is what we're looking at today. I want to read that for us. You can follow along on the screen. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures... You shall love your neighbors yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law, a whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to break this down uh, verse by verse as much as we can, but let's look at the first two verses. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. A royal law, we know, is given by royalty. That makes it royal. So who gave us this law? You shall love your neighbors yourself. None but Jesus himself. Jesus gave us this law, this commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, we read, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked Jesus, to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he went on to say, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All of faith are wrapped up in those two commandments. Loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so as I was reading this, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm guilty as anybody else of showing partiality. It, it happens. I, I'm partial to some more than others. And I thought, you know, well, that's just maybe what I prefer or what, 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 what I'm like. I like these people better than these others. But it really hit me hard when it says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin. That is a sin to show partiality. I thought, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not that bad. It's just, part, it's just I'm, 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 this is what I like. But it's greater than that. It goes beyond that. Showing partiality is preferring one person over another. It is placing greater value on one person over another. This person is more valuable than this person. It is treating one person as less than another. It is loving myself more than my neighbor. I'm breaking that when I show partiality. And it is saying that only those I choose are truly created in God's image. And we know that all of Scripture says we are all created in God's image. It is a sin against God because I've broken the royal law to love my neighbor as myself. Continuing on in the next two verses, James 2, 10 and 11, it goes on to, he said, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. So I think I'm not doing too bad. You know, maybe I show partiality from time to time, but it says, no, you've broken that. You've broken it all. You're guilty of all of it. Then he goes on to say, for, who said, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. I could read this and think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. But, you know, James, we, we believe that the book of James is written by the brother of Jesus. Uh, and, Jesus and he was with Jesus, and he was influenced greatly by Jesus' teachings. And we can see this because this passage that he's referring to, do not commit adultery, do not murder, uh, Jesus expounded on it in the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus explained this a bit more so people would catch it. What is he talking about here? Jesus said, you have heard it that it said, that was said but to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay, I got that. If I murder, I'm guilty. But then he went on to say, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just to be angry? Just to harbor anger in my heart? I'm also liable to judgment? I can say I, I've never murdered, but can I say I've never harbored anger in my heart? 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable of hellfire. She said, if you, if you hold on to this anger, you don't deal with it. You know, we all are angry from time to time, but if we hold anger and that motivates us toward our actions, toward our brother, we're as guilty as someone who murders. You're guilty. And then he went on to say, and this really uh, hits me, it says, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that any, everyone who has looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Just looking, just observing, just in, entertaining lustful thoughts. Man, you, you're guilty. You're guilty. As I look at the congregation, we're about half and half, men and women. Half of us are already guilty. The other half could say, you know, well, I haven't done that, but have you harbored anger in your heart against someone? We're all guilty. We're all guilty of breaking these laws. And it says if we've broken one of them, We've broken their all. We've all become transgressors. In using these examples, Jesus is reinforcing the scripture. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Bible says, For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, I can, I can fool a lot of people by the way I live, but I can't fool God. He sees my heart. He sees what's in my heart. And my actions proceed from my heart. And Jesus knew this, and he says in Matthew 15, 18 to 20, he said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, gets this, out of the heart come murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. It's not what people see and think I'm like, it's what God knows I'm like. And this starts in my heart. And he says, this is where I'm focusing, on your heart. Even in cha James chapter 1, we read, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings, birth, brings forth death. It comes from our own desires, our own hearts. That's where the evil comes from. That's where the sin comes from. And maybe I could say, no, I, you, know, you, you can't prove I've done this. You can't prove I've done this by my actions. But God doesn't look at my actions as much as he looks at my heart. He sees what's in my heart. You know, there, there are, we all want to blame other things, and other uh, things, other people in, in, in the world for our, our, our sinfulness. We all do that. It, it started with Adam, and it continues. Connie and I lived in uh, the Muslim world for a number of years in the Muslim world, there's not a belief that we are sinful by nature. There's a belief that sin comes from outside of us. So if I do, I know what the, the Quran and Islam says, and I follow it, I won't be sinful. So sin comes from outside. So it, it makes sense to me why the this Muslim world can see the U.S. as the great Satan. Because if we didn't bring our sinfulness to them, they would have no sin. And so when I've talked to my Muslim brothers, I said, you know, I'd love to believe that's true, but I know my own heart. I know what's in me. And I said, whether you bring it to me or not, I'm going to find it somewhere because that's, that's the desire of my heart. It's just there. I said, I know, just by knowing something's right doesn't mean I want to do it. I see the signs. It says the speed limit is 55 miles an hour. That doesn't mean I want to do that. I see it. I know what's there, but it doesn't mean that because that's my heart. And God sees my heart. So I, as I said, I can say outwardly, I've never murdered anyone. I've never committed adultery. But I, can I say in my heart, I've never harbored anger toward anyone? And I've never lusted? No, I can't say this. I'm guilty. I'm a transgressor of the law. 
We're all transgressors of the law. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And as it says in James, without Christ, we're all dead. We're all dead. He goes on in verses 12 and 13. He says, yeah, you're transgressors, but God has redeemed you. So he said, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. He says, you're no longer judged under the law because you are now come to Christ. And Christ has redeemed you and given you a new life. And you're not judged under the law of the past, but you're judged under the law of liberty. And the law of liberty is the gospel. It is God's, as we saw in the video, Jesus given his life to us. That is the law we're under. That's, that's how we live ourselves. And so he says, live this way. Live as if you're under the law of liberty, not under the law that judges you. He says, and we need to live this way. And in doing it, we're no longer condemned for our sins. We, we, don't, we don't live under condemnation because Jesus took that condemnation on the cross. His wrath, God's wrath was appeased when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We experience God's mercy and we are now free to expend, extend mercy to others. He says, for judgment is without mercy to anyone who, is not, who shows no mercy. If we have received the mercy of God, we are compelled to show mercy to others. Jesus illustrates this very well in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. He, he told about how we are to extend mercy to others because we've received mercy. And this talks a lot about, this talks about forgiveness. One of the, the greatest ways we can extend mercy to others is by extending forgiveness to others. In this passage, and we'll read it, look at it briefly, it says, Peter came up to him, came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. From what I understand in my study and reading at that time, the religious teachings were, if someone sins against you three times and you forgive them, you're good. You don't need to forgive them more than just three times. Okay? But, G but Peter maybe said, well, maybe... You know, Jesus is more merciful than this. He's, he's, he's more gracious. So um, let me expand on that. So he said seven times. And it's interesting. G Peter asked a question, then he answered his own question. Uh, and we do that many times. We want to draw attention to ourselves. Look how good I am. Look how good I'm thinking. But he said seven times. And then Jesus said, no, I don't say seven times. I say 77 times. I don't know about you, but if you try to keep up with when people have hurt you, we can keep up with a few of them. We can remember a few of them. But I can't remember 77 times. I'd have to have a book and write them down. Okay, this is number 56. I've only got a few more, and then I don't have to forgive you anymore. But it's just, it, it's overwhelming. It's, it, it, we, it, basically, Jesus said, there's no end to this. Because you've been forgiven, you're to forgive others. And then he says, let me tell you a story. In verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. As I studied in this week, uh, uh, 1,000 talents was equal to the tax income of the, whole, of the Roman Empire for that country at that time. So this man had uh, accrued, a accrued a debt of 10 times, 10 years of the Roman tax income. How could a servant accrue that much debt? It, it, it's hard to imagine. But it says, you know, we, and we, we don't necessarily take this literally, but it's saying this was a debt he, he was beyond comparison. So it says, and since he could not pay, which was pretty obvious, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, all that he had, and pay be made. I think the master was like, 
I ain't never going to get this money back, so I'm going to sell you and, and count my losses and be done with you. I don't want to have you here because I don't want to keep up with how much you owe me. But then the servant said, so the servant fell on his knees, implored him, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. He, did he really think he could pay it? I don't know. Or he's buying time, put up smoke screens. I don't know. But he said, I'll pay you everything. It's not possible. It was absolutely impossible. And then the master knew that. The master knew this man can never pay. He is it's impossible. So it says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. He said, I know you can't pay, and I accept that, and I don't even want to sell you for what you have. I don't want that. I just want to forgive you. I want you to be free of this debt. So now go. Go and be free. And I'm thinking, in one minute he's being sold to somebody else. The next minute he's walking out a free man. I mean, how, how powerful that would have been. But then what did he do? His first act as a free man, it says in verse 28, but when that servant came, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. In my study, a talent, one talent, was worth 6,000 denarii. So this man owed him a hundred. He owed, he owed the king 60 million denarii. He owed him 60 million. And the king said, I forgive you. You're gone. You're good. Go. Be free. He goes out and finds his friend who owes him 100. And what did he do? Did he say, oh, God bless you. I've been given. You can be forgiven too. Go on your way. I, I'm happy. And what does he do? He says, and seizing him, he began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. Wait a minute. Are you, are you crazy? You've, just, you've been given 60 million. You can't let go 100? He said, no. So his fellow servant fell on his knees, fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. There's a good chance this servant could have paid it. He could have paid his debt. It was payable. The, the, the debt between these two servants was, was manageable. It could be done. Not the 60 million, but the 100. But he refused. He said, no, I'm not going to let you get away with this. I'm going to put you in prison until he should pay the debt. And we know in our experiences, when you're imprisoned, you, you don't, you're not going to pay any debt. You have no way to pay debt. So he put him in prison to pay his debt. It didn't make any sense. So in his freedom of all his debts been forgiven, what did he do? He went and imprisoned his, his fellow man who had such a small debt, it wasn't even worth counting. So it goes on and says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him back and said, come back, I want to talk to you. He got back and he said, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. He said, I forgave you all that debt after you pleaded with me. You didn't plead with me to forgive you. You plead with me to give you a chance to pay it. I know you couldn't pay it. So I forgave you of all of it. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Was that too much to ask? I forgave you 60 million. You couldn't forgive 100? What's the deal here? It says, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Jesus says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. How can we not forgive others when we've been forgiven everything? In this story, we're like the servants. That's us. Because we deserve judgment. That's, that's, we, we, we have a debt before God and our sinfulness that we can never repay, and we deserve judgment. But what does God do? He extends mercy to us. He says, I want to extend mercy, not judgment. 
He poured his judgment out on Jesus on the cross so that we could experience his mercy and be reconciled to him. Jesus took our judgment so we could experience God's forgiveness. And so we who have been forgiven of all of our sins against God, how can we not forgive those who sin against us? How can we, extend, how can we not extend mercy to others? I mean, in God's eyes, when someone sins against me, yeah, it's hurtful, it's painful, it's, it, it's not fun, it, it's hard. But in God's eyes, this is nothing compared to what, how your sin was in my eyes. This is nothing. Live together, forgive, extend mercy. And as I've looked at this passage, I thought a statement that really hit me was, judgment imprisons both the offender and the offended. Both are imprisoned but mercy frees them both. Judgment imprisons both the offender and the offended, but mercy frees them both. So how will we live? We've, we have been forgiven all. Will we extend mercy to others? And then the very last uh, passage or a statement really hit me as I was studying this week. He said, mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment will not have the last word. Judgment will not be the final say. Even though we want judgment in our hearts many times, it will not be the last. Mercy will be the last. Jesus showed us that on the cross. This will be the final word. And mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the gospel message. That is the message of the gospel. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what happened on the cross. Mercy triumphed over judgment. A quote I've heard, and you probably heard many times, is it happened because Jesus paid the debt he didn't know because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. We could not pay for our sin. It was impossible. And Jesus said, I will take that and pay it for you. If you've read the book uh, Les Miserables or seen the movie written by Victor Hugo, there's uh, one of the main characters, Jean Valjean. In the book, he spent 19 years in prison for a crime of stealing a loaf of bread because he wanted to save his sister's son from starvation. 19 years for that. By the time he was released, all he had known or had outside of prison was gone. He had nothing. So desperate and alone, he went looking for help, and he came to this, uh, this bishop's house. Bishop Benvenu was his name. And he knocked on his door, and he said, I'm desperate. I need help. Bishop Benvenu saw him and, and welcomed him in, said, come in, you know, I'm here for you. God sent me to, to care for you. So he came in and, and, and he spent the night with him, ate with him, and then in the night he got up and in fear and desperation, he stole some of the silver's place settings and he ran, he fled, because that's all he knew, that was the life he knew. Later he was apprehended by the police and returned the bishop's house to face his judgment for his new crime. And then maybe it would mean he would be, if he was in prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread, maybe he'd be in prison for the rest of his life for stealing these silver pieces. However, Bishop Benvenu, when they came forward and brought him there, if you read the book or watched the, the movie, he sensed that the crime of stealing the silver was not the real crime. The real crime was the 19 years that was stolen from Valjean, his imprisonment. And a few silver settings would no, go nowhere to atone for that. So, 
when they brought him back, the police were dismayed and unbelief when he said, you know, he didn't steal them. I gave them to him. This was my gift to them. And he said, also, he also there's two other ca- silver candlesticks he didn't take. Why didn't you take these? These were yours as well. Why didn't you take them? And in the, the, the movie version, if you watch it, uh, he comes back and, and the, he says, the police say, he said, you gave these to him. And uh, the bishop said, yeah, that's right, I gave them to him. They're his. And he said, but I'm, I'm surprised that you didn't take the candlesticks as well. Why didn't you take everything? And, and, they, and, the, and he turned to the police and he said, he's not guilty, release him. And so they were astonished, but they released him. And as they walked away, Valjean, who knew he was guilty, looked at him and said, why are you doing this? And he said, in this small act, I can redeem your life with this silver. I can free you with this silver. And you're free. Before God, you can be free of all your sin. And you can live a free man. And so in that act of mercy that the bishop showed to Jean Valjean, it set in motion his transformation. He was transformed in the movie And he became a man who was set to live the rest of his life showing mercy to others. And God used him. In the movie, he was used to transform others' lives. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As we heard in the video clip at the beginning of the message, God's surprising response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift. He gave us a gift. Instead of judgment, he gave us a gift. He gave us the life of Jesus. Jesus did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty. So they too can be declared righteous before God. Not because of anything they have done, but because of what Jesus has done for them. And in the video clip it said, if God declares someone righteous when they don't deserve it, as he's done for many of us here, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. So I ask us here, have you been declared righteous by God? Have you exchanged your sinfulness for Christ's righteousness? That's the gift that God is offering to each of us. As the musicians come, to sing. I just want to share that in a few moments we'll have a chance to participate in communion. Communion is a fellowship of believers by which we gather to remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed in Luke 22 we read, he took bread, gave thanks and break it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So when we partake in communion, we are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and he gave his life as a ransom for us, all who believe. The bread, the juice, the wine, whatever we take in the communion is not the issue. It is the fact that we gather together to fellowship in the fact that we are redeemed, we are forgiven. We remember Christ's sacrifice, and then we examine ourselves to see if in our hearts we are harboring any sin. So based on that, we invite all believers in Jesus Christ to come and take 
the communion. And we invite all to come for prayer. I and others will be at the front here to pray with you if you want. If you want to exchange your sinfulness for Christ's righteousness, please come. Or if you want to just pray with someone about whatever you're facing, please come. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word in the book of James. Thank you that this is our hope that uh, mercy triumphs over judgment. And we've experienced that in our life as we have been forgiven of the judgment we deserved. You give us mercy instead and we live life now because of the life you've exchanged with us. And so we say thank you. And so, Father, now make us your instruments of mercy to the world around us that is seemingly constantly being judged by others and make us instruments of yours to say, no, we can extend mercy to those who have not known mercy. But thank you, Father. Thank you. Call us for this. And thank you. Give us your power by your spirit to do this. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.